Thanks, Helen. Good morning, everyone. Oh, I'm nice and loud. It's good. Um, I, I don't usually occupy multiple roles. I try not to. I try to avoid that. But it's actually, actually, at the same time, it really is a great privilege to do that, to be worshipping with you guys and with Chrissy and, and, and Jenny, wherever she's gone. But it was... Oh, where's Jenny? Oh, there you are. It really is just a great privilege to be worshipping with brothers and sisters, you know. Don't take that for granted whatsoever. So for... As, as Helen just shared, if you don't know me, my name is Paul. I have the privilege of leading the team that oversees New Life Community Church. And it's my absolute joy to be bringing the word this morning. We know we have just begun a series looking at what it is to be devoted to disciples of Jesus. And really our goal for this series is to springboard a heart for every individual believer to grow into a greater maturity in their relationship with Jesus. You know, we want to be a church family who's deeply rooted and standing firm in the goodness of God. And when storms of life come, we're not swayed to the left or to the right, nor uprooted because we are a church family who are firmly secure in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Yeah, it's okay to say amen as well. Only if you agree, obviously, you know. (laughs) So today we're going to be looking at being disciples of Jesus who are devoted to the words and I can't deny I'm really excited about delivering this particular preach to you in fact I remember just in my preparation I actually was had so much stuff that I wanted to deliver that I found it difficult to compile it in fact the the stage the page stayed blank for a lot of Wednesday that's not my usual time preparation just looking at blank pages but I, I I think because of my love and my passion for it, I had so much and I had, had no idea how to sharpen or shape what I wanted to bring. But we're here and we've made it. So this is just a, a way of just touching base with my passion for the word of God. And so hopefully uh, something that might be imparted and be a blessing. So I'm going to share, do that by sharing some of my favorite verses in the Bible to help us something, uh, understand something of the significance of God's word to us. Because whether... You are here this morning and either you haven't made that decision yet to follow Jesus or if you're here and you've had many years of experience of a relationship with Jesus, I believe this statement to be true. For young and old, inexperienced or experienced, God's word is one of his great gifts given to us to help navigate life with confidence, security and freedom even in the most testing challenges that we face. And the greater we carry the influence and understanding of God's word with us, the more we are able to stand firm, unshaken and joy-filled. So Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that it would do us much good this morning in Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna touch upon four areas alongside four key verses that will help us discover what it is the word does by means of an introduction, really. We're going to be looking at how the word reveals and directs. We're going to look at how the word guards and protects. We're going to have a look at how the word gets straight to the heart. And we're going to have a look at how the word equips you for life. So if you are, if you're a fan of taking notes, uh, 
I remember that was the only way that used to stop me falling asleep, actually, in sermons. So. <laughs> um, the first, the first, first section is the Word reveals and directs. And if you have your Bibles and you're a super keen, speedy finder, Psalm 119, 105... You can keep your finger in this one for, for this section. So Psalm 119, 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This verse is taken from Psalm 119. And the Psalms are a collection of creative writings to God. They're poems, they're songs, they deliver emotion, seek to enlighten, they reveal, and they teach in a way that, you know, any artist would. And they are very real as well, you know, it's like being exposed to someone's personal journal. You know, there's insight to the very highs and lows of life, and yet the outstanding contribution to these psalms is that through it all, despite the tests and the challenges, they proclaim their complete confidence and dependency upon God. Psalm 119 is the biggest psalm recorded with 176 verses devoted to a particular theme, the significance of God's word. And of the many ways that God's word is good for us, here in verse 105, the psalmist wants to impress upon us how God's word reveals, God's word reveals and directs. Uh, for the first time uh, last Saturday, I went for a, a long run in the pitch black. Okay, I, I really, actually, I just struggle running through autumn winter season because I like getting up nice and early. I'm one of those, I'm really sorry, I'm the chirpy guy in the morning who annoys everyone who likes a lion. And uh, I want to keep clocking, oh, uh, that's right, hang on a minute. Yeah, yeah, I'm up, so I'm up nice and early in the morning and I dislike the dark. I hate, <laughs> I really don't like the dark. I don't like running in the dark. If you take away the scenery, it really feels like me on my own with myself. And I'm not, I'm a bit boring company, to be honest. So, but I have an incentive. I've got a marathon next year. Um, so I want to keep clocking in the miles and uh, I have this chest torch that my lovely wife brought for me. So I look like a little bit, I, well, I like to think I look a little bit like Iron Man when I'm running. <clears throat> and the truth is, I genuinely, I just wouldn't be able to see a thing without the torch. Living where we live, you know, rural country lanes, no street lamps, given the bonus that I'm 43 years old and my, my eyes are terrible in the dark, the torch probably lit enough in front of my feet to see the path ahead. Despite confident as well of where I've run. I mean, I've, these are roads that I've run numerous amount of times in the daylight. I, there were real genuine moments where I just paused and I was like, I really don't know where I am. I was completely disorientated and I was unsure of direction and all I could do was just rely upon the torch that was lighting up the path just in front of me. You'll be pleased to know that I'm, the reason I'm here today is that I got back home and I didn't have to call someone for a lift back. <laughs> God's word is there for us to help us navigate life. And this has been personally true for me. 
And the implication of that verse is that if we didn't have God's word to illuminate our path, to help give direction, we'd all just be running around disorientated in the dark. And I think that would also be very true for me. Now these, you know, 66 books that comprise of what we call the Bible, they're not only the way, they're not the only way God speaks to us, shows us or leads us, but they are the primary way in which we can gain a significant understanding of who God is and his desire for our direction in life. So to give you an example, you know, if you feel in the dark regarding the origins of you and I in this world and what we live in, you'll discover a lot of that information in the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible. And there you'll discover the beauty of God's original intention, what it was meant to be at its best. But you'll also discover the reasons for why the world is the way it is today. Help us understand something of the reason for suffering, the reason for wars, the reason for relational breakdowns. It points towards what the world can be or could be at its worst. The Bible, God's word to us, is there so that we may not be in the dark about these things. The scripture helps us make sense of that which we are disorientated by, but it's not just there to help us understand why we're in such a mess. The Bible is intentionally pulled together as a means of hope. To keep with that same example, not only will it illuminate and show you the reason for humanity at its worst, but in response and in greater measure, it will also reveal the pathway for humanity at its best. That hope in this life and beyond is not some sort of pipe dream, but an assured hope through the person of Jesus Christ. For many of you here, I'm sure you could bring testimony of how God's word has been a lamp to your feet and a light to your path, particularly in times when you may have felt in the dark or disorientated. Psalm 1 is one of my favourite psalms. I'll just read you a couple of verses from, from Psalm 1. It says in here, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers." Psalm 1, you know, helped me to understand the choices, that the choices that I make reflect my love and passion for God. That in choosing to honour him in decision-making moments, you know, they result in knowing the continued, something of the continued favour and blessing of God. And that through the word, the path has been clearly illuminated for me in a very practical way. You know, I thought, I can look to continuously receive the advice from brothers and sisters who follow Jesus and carry the heart for Jesus and carry the heart of Jesus. Or I can choose to continuously receive the counsel of those who do not carry the heart of Jesus into our conversation. One of those pathways brings blessing, favor and maturity and growth and enables you to stand strong like a tree planted by streams of water. 
And the other pathway brings consequence, you know, roots that don't grow deep. The wind comes, you're unable to stand, you just get blown away. And this psalm helps you to show, or show me, show us, what it is to press on into maturity so that you don't just get blown away. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Secondly, for those who are taking your notes, so second, the word guards and protects. Matthew chapter 4. reading from verse 3 and the tempter came and said to him if you are the son of God command these stones to become loaves of bread but he answered it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God before Jesus began his ministry the spirit of God leads him out into the wilderness now often in the scriptures like wilderness moments are times of preparation often where God is making you ready for the ways in which you are to serve him. You know, if you've ever had to wait, by the way, you know, personally, wait for some time between that knowing the call of God upon your life and walking in that calling, you probably realise that when looking back, that waiting period has all played a part in your preparation. So be encouraged, you know, that if you are currently feeling that you're in that season of waiting, be mindful that God may be using that to prepare you and part of that preparation will involve testing how you fare under a bit of pressure when God leads the people of Israel out of slavery under the Egyptians he takes them out into the wilderness in order to prepare them for the land that they are to inherit to prepare them for the type of relationship they were to have with God and with each other and in that time God put them under testing gave them a bit of pressure to deal with and they struggled with that so God kept them in the wilderness for a long time how would Jesus fare under testing well at the end of 40 days and 40 nights of Jesus seeking God in the wilderness he fasted and he had prayed and he was now hungry I know how I feel when I've missed a night's food let alone 40 days and 40 nights worth of food. Probably be a little bit irritated, prone to making a few rash decisions. In what could have been a, like, perceived as a vulnerable moment for Jesus, God puts him to the test. And he permits Satan, God's adversary, to come and tempt him in several ways. Now, if we were to dissect just this moment, we'd end up, that would be an end of a sermon in itself. But the point is, Jesus is found to be faithful in the testing. And the way he is found to be faithful is that he uses the tool of God's word to guard and protect him from succumbing to the devil's temptations. It's God's word that becomes his defense. To give a paraphrased example, Satan says, hey, you're hungry. If you are who, you, who we all think you are, use your power, convert these stones into bread. What difference is that going to make? 
If you've got that type of power, might as well use it. And might as well use it to benefit yourself. And Jesus replies, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus uses the written word of God from Deuteronomy 8.3 to show Satan that whilst life is somewhat dependent on the need for food, the greatest satisfaction and need for life is found in digesting every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The word helps us to remember where our greatest source of nourishment comes from. The word of God guards and protects us from diving down rabbit holes of wrongful thinking, prevents us from taking paths that ultimately damage us and hurt our relationship with God and at times with others. And the word particularly guards and protects us in those wilderness moments, times of preparation and therefore times of testing where God wants to see how we will fare in crucial moments, especially when we might feel a little bit weak or vulnerable, hungry, irritated. How would you fare under testing? Jesus obviously passes the test. It would be a little bit disappointing if he didn't. But in that time of preparation, he models something to us all. God's word is sufficient to guard and to protect in a time of testing. Thank God for his grace, we will fall at times, we will fail at times, like the Israelites. But the press for maturity, that move for growth in him, moves us to remember the significance of God's word in all seasons. And that it has the power to protect and to guard in times of testing. Therefore, whilst I need bread in my life, my greatest nourishment comes from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If I found a love for him, I should carry a devotion for his word. Number three then, the word gets straight to the heart. Hebrews, we're turning to the book of Hebrews for this one. Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4 and verse 12. Verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intention, intentions of the heart. There is a um, simple, profound truth about every word that makes up what we call the Bible. These words are alive. They're alive. When the Apostle Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, stands before the crowds of people in Jerusalem and begins to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ, he recalls the written word of God to them sharing how God had promised to pour out his spirit upon all people, young and old, male and female, and that a season had started where God was going to move in a fresh, powerful way and that the sign of this work had been perfectly displayed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that all who would call upon him would be saved. As part of, this, of his proclamation or preach, 
He shared how the crowds had played their part in crucifying this Jesus, the one whom God had appointed to save them. And in the scripture, it says in Acts 2.37, when they heard this, when they heard the message that Peter gave, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, this is what they cry out to him, brothers, what shall we do? Meaning, you know, in that moment where they're being cut to the heart, brothers, how do we rightfully respond to such things? And it's in this moment that Peter calls them to give their lives to following Jesus. And about 3,000 were added to the family of God, known as the church on that day. Now, as much as preachers can work to present and deliver something that is accessible and applicable, we can be animated. That was me being animated, by the way. That was it. That's all we get. (laughs) And engaging. And whilst all these things are good and helpful, it must all be centred around the resounding reality that God's word is enough. God's word is enough to meet people where they are at. Bypass all the stuff that's happening in their lives, reaching beyond the walls that we may put up ourselves and get straight to our hearts. It is sufficient enough in itself to bring about change. Now here in the text, we see that it moves the crowd to personally want to respond to what Peter has shared. God's word has hit their hearts and has moved them to have a change of heart. There's a supernatural dynamic about the Bible, which means the ink doesn't remain on the paper. They're there to pop off the page into your life, into your circumstance, into your decision making. They are at work doing you good, even when you don't realise it. Because when you read this stuff, it doesn't remain dormant. It lives and actives. It's, it's like Pete Thompson. Like he's, this, where's Pete? Pete, you said you can't sit still, you have to do something. God's words are the same. It, it has to, it's active, it's living, it can't remain dormant, it has to be at work doing something. Its job is to be at work in you. No other piece of literature can claim to do that. The living word of God can. And let me just share with you some of these living, active words that are proclaimed from the scriptures. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I will never leave you, nor Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. On his robe and on his thigh has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So now faith, hope and love abide. But the greatest of these is love. For the word of God is living and active. And fourthly, the word equips you for life. Um... 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. I'm conscious about time. And what? 
just give me a window and then I'll try and aim for it. Put your hand up if you uh, lead a church and can't find 2 Timothy. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> um, 16 to 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. I mean, my gosh, I can just sit there and read that so quickly that I don't really digest. All scripture is breathed out by God, that the man of God may be a complete, equipped for every good work. That language of breathed out is the familiar language that we discover in the book of Genesis. It's here in this book of origins that we discover how God created Adam, the first man. It says that he fashioned from his, bo his body from the dust of the earth, but as a final touch, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. I, find, I found actually looking at this verse in Timothy particularly precious because what God breathes into man to make him alive, he uses to breathe out of man in order to put pen to paper. The word of God, this Bible made up of 66 books, is written by men but breathed out by God, which means we discover something of the character and the nature of the writers at work, you know, whether that's the artistry of David or the youthfulness of Mark. There is something of their creative qualities that come through. However, what makes this book alive is the breath of God breathed into us, breathed out onto paper, and that breath that we associate is with the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so here we see something of the way that God works with himself as Father and as Son and of Spirit, but also in the way that he partners with his creation, you and I. Here the Holy Spirit is at work bringing that which God has fashioned and created into its living and breathing state and it comes alive through the Spirit of God. He is the breath of God. And so we would say of the Bible that these words are divinely inspired, which means there's a significant work of God through man that is collectively knitted together this book for our good. And it's good to teach us, to challenge us, to correct us, to train us in ways that are pleasing to God. And it contains everything that we need in order that we may be complete, which means not lacking, equipped, ready for every good work that we can turn our hands to. The Bible talks about our life on this earth and relationship with God like being like a race. It talks about being a race. And of course, in this analogy, as people give themselves to following Jesus, they will enter this race at different stages. Nonetheless, the statement remains true. We are called to endure in this race. Jesus says in Matthew 24 that the one who endures to the end will be saved. 
And no matter where your entry point is in the race, the goal remains the same, endure to the end. Which means any kind of race that requires some kind of endurance will not be easy to accomplish without a good foundation of training and nutrition. God's word is that. It's there to nourish you, to equip you to run this race with Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever seen those guys who make like running an endurance race like really easy? You know, it just doesn't look like it's a challenge for them. So whilst you're like <gasps> huffing and puffing, you know, you may look to your right and no, and to your left. And you see, I'm going to say, we're going to call him Christian Dave, okay? Christian Dave doesn't look like he's even breaking a sweat. Okay, that's okay. Because that race is not about Christian Dave. It's about your race with Jesus. Uh, for me, I just in general in life anyway, I, I have to work really hard to be good at something, you know? That is generally how it is. Nothing comes like incredibly easy. You know, you see those little um, like TikTok videos of little children who pick up drumsticks and just like, and you're like, okay, that's just God's gift, isn't it? Incredibly easy. Nothing needed to learn. Just picked it up and go. And you know individually where you're at and who you are and how you operate. It's not about Dave, it's about you. Nothing comes incredibly easy to me. The point is, I think, you know, that you're willing. You're willing, you want to move into maturity and people like Christian Dave become a point of inspiration, not a point of discouragement. Some people will look at the person next to them and think, well, they're doing so well, why am I doing so badly? That's not the point. Look at your brother or your sister and say, wow, they're doing really well, let that be an encouragement to you I have a friend called Paul he is one of those Christian Daves who runs with me literally runs with me and he makes running an endurance race look very easy but I'm so grateful for him because he's one of my greatest encouragers he's always spurring me on and helping me to develop and for all of you Christian Daves out there I don't know what the what's the what's Christian Susans we go there okay for all of you Guys, who find that you're in a season of life where that race is easy. Be a blessing to your brother and sister who look like they might be huffing and puffing. Be an encouragement to them. Draw them in. Bless them, serve them, because we all have our own race to run, but we're also called to run this race together as family. It's the breath of God, the spirit of God that makes the world living and active. The word, sorry, the word living and active. Ready to jump off the page and into our lives in order that we may be complete, lacking nothing, equipped for this race, ready to give ourselves into works that are pleasing to him. And so maturity really arises from that intentionality to be equipped for this race in life with Jesus. To fulfill that call to endure. So if you feel like you're at that stage in life where you're lacking, feel like you're missing some tools, feeling ill-equipped, it is God's breathed-out word that has all that you need to help tool you up for life. And because it's breathed out by God, it does more than just inform you. It has the power to transform you. 
final scripture as we kind of bring it. John 1.1. 1, 1. and whistle through this one okay and yet i don't want to whistle it because it's all about jesus so here we go in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with god all things were made through him and without him was not anything that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it so i really wanted to finish you know, by bringing this together, by cent- centralising it upon Jesus. You know, the beauty of God's word is that it's so vast, we've already really touched upon a few areas. And so today we've been giving our time and attention to the written word of God, how it reveals, directs, guards, protects, gets straight to the heart and equips you for life. But as a means of bringing this together, I want to show something of the depth of the word of God, the great reach it has into our lives and why it becomes such an essential part of our devotion to Jesus. Because whilst the word of God is written, and we've given our attention to that today, the word of God is also spoken. And by default, we've also probably touched upon that as well. But the word is also much more. It is a person. John 1 helps us to identify Jesus Christ as the word of God. Which moves our understanding from not just looking at what was said and recorded, but also what was embodied through Jesus Christ. That as we have shared the impact of what the written word can do as it reveals and directs, guards and protects, gets straight to the heart and equips you for life, the same can be said of the living word found in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the one who reveals and directs. Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd, the one who leads, directs and shows his way for us as his sheep. Which means we don't only have the living written word that jumps off the page and into our lives, but we can also come to the person who is the word, who lives and abides in us, and we in him. We can come and ask of him, seek his leadership, ask his direction. And the beauty of it all is that the written word and the person of that word will never be in conflict with one another. It all works together in harmony as God, the Father, the Son and the Spirit, so does his word all come under one another. They'll never be in conflict, never be in tension. You know, when we give a prophetic word, by means of testing it, is that it doesn't conflict with the word of God. So Jesus can reveal and direct, but he's also the good shepherd who can guard and protect, and that's what shepherds do. That's what he does as his, his job. Jesus also gets straight to the heart. When the apostle Paul, think of that moment when Saul enters or encounters Jesus on the Damascus road, Jesus immediately addresses him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Nothing quite like a straight arrow to the heart, is there? You know those friends? You know the friends that you might not go to them for hugs and cuddles, but their love for you is shown in a way that they just tell it you straight. Jesus is able to do that. He's able, well, he's the best at doing that. There are times when God will just want to cut through all the rubbish that's going on and get straight to the point. Bam, no messing around. 
And you know the scripture teaches us that God is love. And love is administered in different ways. Sometimes that's gentle. Drawing on the side. It's a patient thing. It's a willingness to go slow. It's a take a one step at a time kind of thing. Love administered also though can be a wake up in a moment kind of thing. Like when Jesus calls Lazarus from the grave. Or when Jesus challenges the rich man regarding the things that he most treasured in his life. Go and sell everything you have. Jesus is able to get straight to the heart. And he's also able to equip us for life. Now I'll just finish on this one. Ephesians 4 is where Jesus in his ascended state gives gifts of people to his church. Why? To enable them to be equipped into maturity. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to be equipped into life. It says, to attain the unit of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's quite a task. Jesus is the one who is able to do that, to give and to equip. Okay, should we stand together before we uh, respond in worship? You know, we're really just touching upon all this stuff. It's an invitation for a glimpse, really. But at the heart of it, I just want to share, actually, there's a real desire from us as an eldership team. And as much as it is a desire for, for us to you, it's also a desire for us as well. That we would press on and not tire from that desire to a greater maturity in Christ. That out of our devotion to him, we seek to give ourselves into those things that help us to be more steadfast in him. And so, on the last question, what is it like to be a disciple devoted to the word? Nice and easy, quickly round up. Jesus describes himself as the bread of life. And in, Jesus Matthew, in, in Matthew 6, Jesus also teaches his disciple to pray like this to their father. Give us this day our daily bread. Bread and the word, Jesus, are come together. Bread of life and the word. And Jesus requires us to come to him. Give us this day our daily bread. In Exodus 16, the Israelites were given provision by God on a daily basis. Not to store up but to go out and gather on a daily basis because otherwise the bread would be done by the end of the day. And that is the same call from Jesus, to recognise the need for him and his word and all that, that means to go out for us, to intentionally go out and gather it on a daily basis. Devoted disciples of Jesus to go out and to gather from him on a daily basis because man does not live on literal bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Father, we just wanna thank you for your word. Pray that you'll bless it to us, Lord God. 
Father, give us that inburning desire to know you more. Father, thank you that your scriptures are just a, open up a world to understanding, Lord, the depths of something of who you are. Lord, thank you, Lord, that there is a grace, that there, you know, each of us want to enter this stage uh, of the race at different points, Lord. So whether we're just first starting to learn about you or whether we've been experienced walking with you for years and years and years, Lord, the word still does the same. It still, does, it still reveals and directs, it still guards and protects, it still gets straight to the heart and it still is able to equip us to life that we may endure to the end. And I pray for us, Lord, as a church family, as an individual here, that Lord, I would carry that heart to endure to the end and all that that means, that we would seek out the nourishment and the training and the support that we need from one another and from you, Lord God, that enable us to endure. And so, Lord, we just want to say thank you for your word. We delight in it. Thank you that it's living and active. It's nothing like any other literature on this earth. It is your breathed out word to us. In Jesus' name. Amen.